Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. There you have it. It has finally happened. Jim Harbaugh has taken the leap to the NFL. He's set to be the next head coach for the Chargers. Now, we love Jim Harbaugh on this show. We love all college football head coaches on this show. With that being said, this is a college football show. So we'll touch a little bit on Jim Harbaugh and his move to the NFL. But what I really want to focus on here is how it impacts us here at the college football level, how it impacts Michigan, how it impacts the rest of the college football landscape. Because we talked about Brian Kelly previously on this show. We're going to talk about him again right now because one of you had a question about Michigan. Hey, we're glad to have y'all here. This is the Hard Count, the People's College Football Show. If you have been dialed in the entirety of the year, then you know that college football, it does not stop. So we're fortunate to have a show to cover it because it doesn't stop. And we're fortunate to talk about it every single day. Would make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a minute of what we got going on right here. Going to talk Jim Harbaugh on his move to the Chargers and talk about what's next for Michigan. And to take it a step further, because we've kind of done the whole what's next for Michigan, what could be happening, all this, like, I wanted to take a step further and say, well, was this actually maybe good timing for Michigan? Because I think there's more than what meets the eye here when it comes to Jim Harbaugh making this leap. I think actually if there were to be a time to leave for the NFL, now wasn't the worst timing in the world. And we'll tell you why in just a second. Also, y'all, Alabama. Kalen DeBoer, man, a lot made about how he would be as a recruiter. We took part in that on this show. I, I sat right here and said, listen, I don't know. I don't know he's going to be as a recruiter. I don't know if he can recruit in the SEC, how he needs to recruit to win enough ball games. Uh, so far, so good, as they landed a five-star wide receiver yesterday in Ryan Williams. Williams was, at one point in time, committed to Bama, decommitted when the greatest of all time retired, reaffirmed his commitment yesterday, given a verbal to Tuscaloosa, a guy who reclassified from 2025 to 2024. That's a big-time player now. So what does that mean for Kalen DeBoer? 
What does that mean for the Alabama Crimson Tide and all the good folks in Tuscaloosa? We'll talk about it here in just a matter of moments. Unpopular takes, they keep on rolling. Like I said, we got takes on Michigan. Had one of y'all uh, give us some takes on Ohio State. We got a take as it pertains to everything going on uh, when it comes to um, the NIL world. We got takes on, what else we have here? Brian Kelly, Michigan, a lot of takes. A lot of takes, a lot of good stuff from y'all. So we appreciate y'all being a part of this and making sure this show is what it is. Also, got a special treat today. If you follow the transfer portal for any period of time, then you know that there is one person that crushes that coverage unlike anybody else. He is the Adam Schefter, the Gene Wojciechowski, or not uh, Adam Wojciechowski, Woj, whatever the, whatever the guy is for the NBA. We don't follow that close enough. We just call him Woj. Uh, Pete Nakos is that to the transfer portal, and he's joining the show here today to just kind of break down the inner workings of the portal, why people have been successful in the portal. Also, maybe what he's hearing as it relates to Michigan. Excited to have Pete join the show live. Not a pre-recorded interview. We're having him on the show live. We'll have a good time. We'll chop it up and uh, we'll get after it, man. Hey, it's a great day to be alive. It is Thursday, January 25th, 2024. The last one on the face of this planet. Jim Harbaugh gone to the NFL. What does it mean for Michigan? Let's talk about it right now. The news broke last night right around dinner times. So maybe you were at the table with your family when you got the alert from the On3 Twitter account saying Jim Harbaugh is taking the job with the Chargers. And this was a surprise to absolutely nobody. Nobody was surprised by this. We knew this was coming from a mile away. There were reports they were within striking distance of getting a deal done, and that deal eventually did get done. It was always a matter of when, not if, right? That's kind of the way that it felt. Because Jim Harbaugh had flirted with the NFL for the last couple of off seasons. There was a point in time where you thought he was going to make that jump with the Vikings and ended up not getting that job. Then past off season, you know, taking calls from other teams and decides he wants to stay at Michigan. But we sit here today, and nobody's surprised by this, like I said at the top of this thing. Now, we have long since made our, uh, our campaign for Sharon Moore to be the next head coach in Ann Arbor, and our very own Chris Ballas, who is tremendous covering, Wolver uh, tr tremendous covering Michigan for the Wolverine, our Michigan on three site. Uh, he believes that Sharon Moore is expected to be the next head coach at Michigan. Now, the thing with this is there's a timing within the state of Michigan to where the Michigan head coaching job has to be posted for a minimum of seven days. So after that time period, they can name Sharon Moore the next head coach. It's also possible that they could get a waiver to bypass that waiting period. So keep an eye on that. We'll obviously have thoughts for it as soon as that becomes a reality or if that becomes a reality. But I think today the people in Ann Arbor feel nothing but gratitude when it comes to Jim Harbaugh and his decision to go to the NFL. We were fortunate enough to watch his very last game as the head coach at Michigan in person in Houston for the national championship game. And throughout the course of that week, got to bump into a lot of y'all that are Michigan fans. And we, we was awesome to talk to y'all about the show. And one of the things that I asked y'all, though, whenever we ran into Michigan faithful was, hey, how do you feel about Jim Harbaugh? And a lot of y'all said the same thing. Hey, we think he's leaving. I said, man, how do you feel about that? They said, we're happy for him. That makes sense. He wanted to go win a Lombardi trophy. Now he has the chance to go do that. And so like the best, the best way I could say this is it's nothing but gratitude. And I think it's nothing but just um, happiness for someone that you care about. Because that's kind of how this works, right? Like people that you care about, you're happy for. That, at the end of the day, you want what's best for them. You want what they want. And for Jim Harbaugh to have stayed at Michigan as long as he has to be a Michigan man, a guy who played his college football in Michigan, and to bring Michigan football back to the top of the college football world, I think it's nothing but gratitude, nothing but happiness for him. Now, there's a lot of people out there today that are saying, well, he's, uh, he's leaving y'all with the sanctions. He's just, he's just leaving y'all out to dry. And that's something that I've probably had a, 
the greatest issue with when it comes to this Jim Harbaugh conversation with him heading to the NFL. If Jim Harbaugh were leaving because of the sanctions, that implies a couple of things. There's a couple of thoughts to approach that with, rather. We'll, we'll kind of rephrase this. Saying Jim Harbaugh is leaving at the perfect time because the sanctions are about to hit is implying that he would stay at Michigan if there weren't going to be heavy sanctions. My response to that would be, well, Jim Harbaugh right now has all the leverage when it comes to what job he wants to take. If he wanted to go to the NFL next season, I have a pretty good feeling based on the track record here the last couple of off seasons, he could take an NFL job next year if he wanted to do that. So my question would be, if it were about the sanctions, why not wait and see what things are going to be? Why not wait and see what the NCAA hits you with? And that's not me telling you that I think they're going to be a certain level of sanctions that are going to be hard. They're going to be soft, whatever. Like, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm saying if that was truly the case, if it was all about sanctions for Jim Harbaugh, he has all the leverage to stay or leave at Michigan, right? Like, that's probably the reality here. So my thought would be, okay, maybe it wasn't about the sanctions. And there's another train of thought here that people are going to say, well, for Jim Harbaugh, like, maybe it wasn't all about the sanctions, but he is leaving y'all kind of left for dead right like y'all won the national championship and then he's out of there right before those sanctions hit maybe it's not about the sanctions but he's not doing y'all any favors and that's where I would push back the strongest I think there's no better time than now to leave for the NFL if you're Jim Harbaugh short of JJ McCarthy coming back for another season I think the, the situation is about as good as you could hope for it to be because again it was never a matter of if he's going to leave for the NFL at some point in time this was always a goal for him he always wanted to compete at the highest level who could blame him He came within one win of of the ultimate prize that football has to offer as a sport, which is the Lombardi Trophy. Who could blame him? He wants to go back and finish that and check that box. Never a matter of if, a matter of when. So if it's a matter of when, is it not a more opportune time than right now after you leave Michigan in a place of power? In, In a place where the brand has more steam than I think it's had in recent memory? Like Michigan's hot right now. Also, your predecessor, or your successor rather, uh, in Sharon Moore is already on staff. You can promote internally and kind of keep that roster intact if you make a move like that. Also, think about it this way. Everyone that has been recruited out of high school and gone to play for Michigan or is on that roster, they were all well aware this was a possibility. And so I'm not making a prediction on guys that are going to stay or guys that are going to leave, but I do think it's worth noting that like everybody was on the same page here that, hey, he might leave for the NFL. If I commit to Michigan out of high school, My head coach may not be there all four years. So I don't know what conversations we'll have behind closed doors, but I just keep on going back to this thought that, like, I think this was the right time for him to do this. You leave Michigan in a place of power with a lot of key pieces coming back now, too. You can talk about the guys that are leaving between J.J. McCarthy and Blake Corum, and that's obviously a huge factor, but Mason Graham is back. He was an absolute force in that national title game in that college football playoff run that everyone got to see. All Big Ten caliber player. He's back. Colston Loveland. He was a way-too-early All-American. That's what we're talking about right now with number 18 playing tight end for Michigan. That's how good he is. Donovan Edwards, he's a stud. You've seen what he's capable of. Like, there's a lot of key pieces back for Michigan. Will Johnson, he's back. Kenneth Grant, like, there's so many pieces here for Michigan to where it's not like they're just totally all throwing up the deuces to the NFL. Like, there's still a lot in-house in Ann Arbor to where Jim Harbaugh is nowhere near leaving them out to dry. I think he's leaving them, one, much better than he found it. That's obvious. Second, position of power with them having just won a national championship. And then also everything from the recruiting side of things to what they have in-house. Like, Michigan's going to be fine as long as they make Sharon more the next head coach, which is also a thing. You, In some roundabout way, 
equipped your next head coach on your staff to take over who's 4-0 this past season being the head coach at Michigan. So with that being the case, I don't think there's any reason for Michigan to have to take a step back now. Yes, your head coach has gone to the league. Yes, you lose some key pieces. But for all the reasons I just mentioned, I don't think you need to lower your standard, your expectations, or what you think Michigan's going to be in 2024. We have more thoughts on that later based on one of the unpopular takes that y'all sent our way. So we appreciate y'all for that. But the bottom line here, today in Ann Arbor, you're happy for Jim Harbaugh. You're happy he's going to accomplish what he wants to go and ultimately accomplish, which is hoisting a Lombardi trophy. Nothing but gratitude today. A dude who was, one at one point in time, your quarterback at Michigan came back to be your head coach from the NFL ranks to take Michigan to where he expected them to be, to where you expect them to be. And now he's leaving with Michigan at the top of the mountain. So Jim Harbaugh has gone to the Chargers. A lot of, I think, sadness. But again, at the end of the day, a lot of gratitude for what Jim Harbaugh has done since he first stepped foot in Ann Arbor as the head coach. So again, think Jerome Moore's the guy. All the smoke, all the fire right now about Jim Harbaugh being the next guy. Uh, I see someone in the chat say, hire Connor Stallions for head coach. No comment. Keep a good thing going here. Appreciate everybody tuned in live. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you've liked the video. We're going to keep a good thing going here. Pete Nakos in a matter of 15 minutes joining the show to talk everything portal. And uh, before we get to the portal, though, we got to talk a little bit about the high school recruiting ranks because we're moving into that part of the year where that first signing period is behind us. But that second signing period now, you never know what's going to pop up on that day. Never know what's going to happen. And Ryan Williams is recommitted to Alabama as of yesterday. That's a cat that reclassified from the 2025 class to the 2024 class. Okay, now this is a special player. Still a five-star plus guy. Even after reclassifying, he is a top five player in the country, top three receiver in the country. Dude is ridiculous. Okay, extremely, extremely talented. Again, he is recommitted to Alabama. More thoughts on that here in a second. First things first, though, make sure you're subscribed right here to the On3 YouTube channel. We talk college football, we talk portal, we talk recruiting, we talk everything that has to do with this game that you and I both love with every fiber of our being every single day right here on this show. If you're watching this video as a one-off clip, it's from our live show that we do three times a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Get in the live chat, get active. We have a real good time, so we appreciate y'all in advance for doing that. So let's reset the stage again. Five-star plus caliber wide receiver, Ryan Williams, reclassified from 2025 to 2024. He had been committed to Alabama. Nick Saban retires. He decommits. Panic in Tuscaloosa a little bit. You're saying, oh boy. That's a big time ball player. Again, a top three wide receiver in the country. Goes and takes another visit to Alabama under Kalen DeBoer. Get the deal done. And he is uh, recommitted to Alabama. So this is massive. Like I said, five-star plus caliber. Just to kind of refresh everybody here. That means that everybody in the recruiting industry believes he's a five-star player. Like sometimes you get some um, variance across the board. Oh, well, we think this guy's a five-star. We think this guy's a four-star, whatever. Nobody is disagreeing on how good Ryan Williams is. The comp for us here at On3 for him is Jamison Williams. The good folks in Tuscaloosa, a lot of good memories with him playing ball for you. That's the kind of skill set he brings to the table, or that's who he reminds us of, that is. Uh, ridiculous speed. Like sub 10, 5, 100 meter speed. That's stupid fast. He is going to be a problem when he gets to Tuscaloosa by nature of that speed. And so when you talk about how he fits for Kalen DeBoer, this is the kind of weapon that Kalen DeBoer's offense thrives under. Because what Kalen DeBoer's offense does, it creates space, 
with how they align. I mean, there's times where they will align their receiver all the way out to the sideline, and it creates matchups. And they'll do that some ways through motions. They'll do that through shifts. Bottom line is, with space and with matchups, that's where speed thrives. That's where Ryan Williams is going to go and do numbers like goodwill hunting. All right? So with that being the case here, it's a tremendous fit. And you went and saw what that wide receiver core did last year at Washington under Ryan Grubb and Kalen DeBoer's offense. Ryan Williams is a special talent. Expect him to thrive when it's, hot, when it's his, his time to roll uh, in Tuscaloosa and right in any stadium. He's going to put up big numbers. I, full, I fully, fully believe that. So that's the X's and O's part of this thing. Fits tremendously. You're excited for Kalen DeBoer. You're excited if you're an Alabama fan. But I think the impact of this goes a little bit deeper than what's just going on on the football field. It's obviously a great thing to land a five-star plus kind of player. When you talk about what was going on in Tuscaloosa, though, landing a five-star player who had recently decommitted and then recommits to this new staff, that is massive. And the best way to say this for me, that is the ultimate stabilizer for what's going on in Tuscaloosa with this staff. If for nothing else, for optics and morale. Because remember Alabama, I mean, I guess remember, like y'all understand what's been going on here the last couple of weeks in Alabama, been hemorrhaging players. Players that, that had committed out of the 2024 class and signed on the early signing period and had been enrolled, had been in bowl practice. Guys like Julian Sayan that said, okay, you know what? This is actually not what I signed up for. I'm going to go ahead and hit the portal and go somewhere else. And more power to him. The guy that they committed to was no longer in Tuscaloosa. So for Ryan Williams to say, you know what? I like where this is headed. I can be a part of what's going on here. And to recommit to Alabama, like I said, a stabilizer. I mean, you talk about if you're a recruit, to see a five-star plus player commit to Alabama and say, okay, it's good enough for him. He's a top player in this class. He likes the way this thing is headed. He likes the direction of this program. Okay, that makes me feel better about at least considering Alabama, if not recommitting or committing to Alabama. And then for the fan base too, you're like, okay, we're all good. Because for a while there, you have enough bad things happen in a row. When you lose momentum, it's easy to feel like, hey, we're never going to get momentum back. This is the end of us. We're never going to see bright skies again. And then Ryan Williams recommits and you say, okay, take a beat. Get a little bit of inhale, exhale, deep breath. We're, we're going to be okay. Just stabilizes the entire feeling around Tuscaloosa of, okay, we can still land top players. We are going to be okay. Kalen DeBoer can recruit. Now, to be clear, this is just one big commitment. So we understand, like, it's great to land a five-star, but where you really do some damage is when you land multiple five-stars, when you land multiple top prospects in a class, and your class ranking is somewhere in that top five range. That's where Kalen DeBoer will make his hay, and he has to do it over the course of a couple of seasons to compete with the Georgias and the Texases and the LSUs and things like that. I'm not saying they can't do it, but I am saying this is just the first domino to fall. But I tell you what, getting that first domino to fall sometimes is the most difficult and definitely provides the most relief to be able to get that done for Kalen DeBoer and this staff. But I want to kind of explore that impact even further because I think this means extra for Kalen DeBoer because think about if they didn't land Ryan Williams. I think it would have been brutal because remember the timeline is Ryan Williams decommits and then pops up in Tuscaloosa for a visit with this staff. So if he had popped up for a visit, goes and checks it out, he's only like a three and a half hour drive away being from Saraland, Alabama, to be there to visit and then to stay decommitted and commit somewhere else, potentially your rival in Auburn, which was another school that was in the hunt for him, it would have been devastating because that would have sent the message loud and clear, hey, Ryan Williams, 
decommitted, give Alabama a second chance, went and saw firsthand what's going on there, and confirmed that he didn't want to go to Alabama. The headline, the vibe, all that, that would have just been bad for business for Alabama, and it would have been, I think, again, a crucial, crucial blow to them because of the fact that he maybe would have gone to Auburn if he hadn't gone to Alabama. I guess we'll never know, but that's the impact that has. Also, it's just the thing like, hey, this, this is a wide receiver who has an elite skill set and who is going to thrive you know, wherever he ends up going. Isn't this the kind of player that Kalen DeBoer, given his offense and given his background, should be able to land? You just had a year with Roma Dunze having the best wide receiver season Washington's ever seen. We can't go and recruit a top wide receiver after having that on tape. Like if there was a position you're supposed to recruit well, if you're Kalen DeBoer, quarterback probably is a piece of that, but wide receiver absolutely should be one of those positions that you would expect them to be able to crush it in. So all that's to say for Ryan Williams and for Alabama, this is, this is massive. Again, I expect him to be an impact player from day one when he gets to Tuscaloosa or have the opportunity to be an impact player from day one because that is real deal speed now. You can teach a lot of things. You can teach ball skills. You can teach, you know, uh, X's and O's, but you can't teach fast. You can't teach big and can't teach fast. And Ryan Williams is very, very fast. Massive get for the folks in Tuscaloosa. Just reaffirming his commitment or recommitting rather to Alabama. Absolutely massive here. Again, appreciate everybody dialed in. Appreciate everyone that subscribed to the show and subscribed to the channel. We're going to keep a good thing going here. Again, we got Pete Nakos here in a matter of minutes. We're going to check here with the cockpit. We got Pete? Not yet. All right, cool. Making sure we're good to go. Let's keep on rolling here. Hey, on my Twitter page, I put out a, a tweet a couple of days ago, and y'all have been answering with tremendous, tremendous responses. I said, what is your college football unpopular take that you strongly stand behind? Got a couple of good responses from y'all, and uh, we've been answering them throughout the course of this week. And I, I'm going to be honest, I think there's some meat on the bone here. I think discussion within college football is one of the most fun parts of the offseason, honestly, because everything is fair game. And uh, we got some good ones from y'all now. We got some real good ones, and I want to go through those right now. Uh, Hunter Tig got us on Twitter, and he says that Brent Venables and Oklahoma are going to win a national championship before Steve Sarkeesian does. How about that? Hunter calling his shot. We absolutely love it. Do we agree with that? Well, we'll talk about it right now. Make sure you subscribe to the On3 YouTube channel. We want y'all a part of this. Okay, follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram, at JDPakel. We appreciate y'all in advance for that. All right, so let's keep on rolling here. Let's get to what Hunter had to say. Again, he says Brett Venables is going to win a natty before Steve Sarkeesian. Now, full disclaimer, as we unpack this, we got to make sure this is said. Texas, even though they lost the Red River rivalry this past season, they are ahead of Oklahoma. You say, JD, but they, they lost in the game. I understand. They got their quarterback coming back, they won the conference, and they played in the college football playoff. So just by those things alone, I think it's fair to assume that Texas as a program is further along than Oklahoma is. So with that being said, I think with Oklahoma switching their quarterback this season, going with Jackson Arnold, who we're a big fan of here on this show, we, we did not fall victim to bull syndrome, neither did you, uh, he's going to be a player for them. With that being the case, you feel like Texas has a one-year window here where it's all about the college football playoff. It's all about a national title for them right now with Quinn Ewers coming back. Okay, they've won their conference. Yes, they're going to the SEC and they want to win an SEC championship. I wholeheartedly believe that's the case for them. But national championship is right in the crosshairs for them as we move into 2024. 
I'm not saying it's not for Oklahoma, but I do think you have more question marks as to, well, how quickly does Jackson Arlo hit the ground running? How does the coordinator moves here within this staff translate to 2024? It'll play a factor. Those are question marks that they're not necessarily concerns why you shouldn't win a national championship, but I don't think it's unreasonable to have a wait-and-see mentality with those. So what I'm trying to say here is I think Texas has a one-year window, a one-year head start on Oklahoma with Quinn Ewers coming back to try and check this box of winning a national championship. But past that, when Arch Manning gets the sticks the year after this year as the starting quarterback in Austin, uh, I think all bets are off at that point. At that point, like, the race is on. And when we talk about winning the national championship, I think both schools to this point, both staffs, have checked a lot of the boxes that are prerequisites to winning national titles. Let's look at this. Are they recruiting how they need to recruit? The answer right now would be yes. Both have landed top 10 classes the last two years. Okay, so check that box. Roster talent looks like where it should be. Uh, Both have quarterbacks of the future. Again, we're kind of moving past just this season. Both Arch Manning and Jackson Arnold, five-star cats. You feel good about both of them moving forward? I don't think either one of these schools would trade one for the other, so you feel good about that there. Uh, Both are building the trenches how they need to. Now, this is important, especially in the SEC, but I think even in in the 12-team playoff, depth, stamina, having big boys on either side of the line of scrimmage, that's going to be a factor, and both have done a tremendous job in stacking the trenches. Talk about David Stone at Oklahoma. Talk about Colin Simmons at Texas. Brandon Baker at Texas. P.J. Adebarare was at Oklahoma this past season. He's a dude. So I think they're both meeting the price of admission. But my question is, who puts the formula together first? Right? Going back to the things I just talked about. You got to have tier one quarterback play. You got to have tier one line of scrimmage play. I don't think that's up for discussion. So at this point, it really is just a matter of who puts it together first. Does Jackson Arnold find his footing first and is able to have more success early on and propel Oklahoma? Or is Arch Manning all he was advertised and more? Does Colin Simmons and that Texas defensive line, do they reload? Do they hit their stride and develop to what they need to be earlier than Texas, or earlier than Oklahoma? Because I think that's the race. The, the, the trench play from both sides is really what I'm watching along with the quarterback play. Because if you have those two, there's other factors that go into it. But from a... a pen and paper standpoint from looking at the roster that I think is the biggest thing that's going to set them up for success because then once you get into the college football playoff really it's game to game it's who do you match up with it's how do you prepare but I think something to look at within this outside of the roster is how much does experience matter because if we're looking at who experience favors between this you know between these two teams when it comes to matchups you lean Texas Right, like, like you lean towards the Longhorns with the team that has the quarterback that has made the college football playoff. But even further, past this season, talking about if you have the Arch Manning versus Jackson Arnold debate, which head coach has college football playoff experience? Steve Sarkeesian. Steve Sarkeesian has also made the national championship game as a coordinator. So when you talk about what the future holds for both of these, I wonder how much experience is going to play a factor. And this year could be crucial in gaining experience for Brent Venables. If they're able to make the college football playoff their first year in the SEC, that would be massive. But if it came down to picking a side in this one, I think you do have to lean Texas here. But again, a lot of those are big question marks around how quickly does Jackson Arnold get rolling? How quickly does that defensive line that Oklahoma just recruited this past class, how quickly do they get up to speed? So a lot of variables here, but here's the main point I want to say. Outside of 2024, I think it's anyone's ballgame. 
Year one in the SEC for both of these teams will be crucial for setting the tone for optics. Because here's what you want to avoid. You want to avoid a situation where either Oklahoma or Texas has sort of a stumble year where you go eight and four or you go seven and five and you kind of have your stock cool off a little bit. The last thing you want to be viewed as in the SEC is a second-rate SEC team. Not just because it's bad for morale, not just because it makes the climb up the mountain a little bit steeper, because of the recruiting side of things. Am I going to you know, go ahead and commit, my, commit myself to a 7-5 and five Texas team when I don't know what they're going to be in the future? Or do I want to commit to a team that's 10-2, and two, that's trending the right way, that has their stock going up, and play for that team? So I'm not predicting either side of this, but I am saying this upcoming year in the SEC is going to be huge for setting the table for what they are going forward. You don't have to win the conference to make the college football playoff. Got to be hot at the right time. Got to have the right ingredients on your roster and got to be able to move forward here um, with those things fully developed and in play. So we'll keep an eye on this. This is a great take from our guy, Hunter Tig. Uh, to be honest, I, I don't know where I fall on this. Again, I think outside of this upcoming season, it could be anyone's game. Comes down to quarterbacks, comes back to development. And uh, past that, man, we'll see how much experience plays a factor. But year one's going to be crucial in the SEC. Year one will be crucial for setting the temperature and the optics when it comes to this. All right. Got the green light from our guy now. I'm excited about this one. Making his, his debut on the hard count. If you've been keeping up with the transfer portal, you've been doing it by way of his reports, has been on this thing 24-7, night and day, covering NIL, covering the transfer portal. The man, the myth, the legend for us here at On3. PD Portal, Pete Nakos. Pete, what's up, man? How we doing? What's shaking, JD? How you doing, man? Dude, you're a legend. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that we're that. not catching you like mid-tweet right now. No, no mid-tweet. All, all eyes on the hard count right now. Good deal, man. Good deal. Well, we're glad you made some time, brother. Um, obviously, everything with Jim Harbaugh and Michigan is absolutely bonkers. And I think a lot of people's first thought is, okay, well, if you promote, if you promote Sharon more, you kind of minimize that portal exodus. Is there anything you're hearing around Ann Arbor when it comes to potential portal earthquakes for Michigan? You know, uh, the Wolverine and on threes, Chris Ballas reported on, on Wednesday night that he thinks Sharon Moore, uh, he's expected to be named the next head coach Sharon Moore. And if that continues to track the way it is right now, I'd be really surprised if there's any big uh, earthquake-esque portal uh, entries. Yeah, it's absolutely mad it's madness right now because it feels like the, the metaphor I used was whenever you were like doing any kind of organized sports and you're doing a drill and somebody messes it up, you have to start the whole drill over again. Like that's kind of how the portal feels. As soon as somebody takes another job, we restart the drill, the portal's back open and it was supposed to close like the first week of January. And here we are yeah. talking about it closing some point in February. Um, when it comes to teams that do the portal well right now, though, what would you say like the common strands are across the board for, OK, they crush the portal because they do one, two and three that are the non-negotiables for success. They have an elite brand. They have the opportunity to compete for a college football playoff spot, and their NIL program is in the top tier of college sports. Interesting. So NIL, obviously, is something you cover closely. Is, is it still collectives? Is it sort of like another party around the school that, that plays a factor there? Like, how does that factor in for some of these top guys? 
Well, most of the time it has to do with collectives and athletes being paid their roster value, right? Um, which is what we're going to get to with collective bargaining and revenue sharing down the road. But right now we call it roster value. That's what a collective pays an athlete. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the market's really matured. But at the same time, there's certain programs that are capable of paying athletes more than the other. And then that still matters. Is, is this calendar going to change, Pete? Because like I just said, we're, we're going into like <laughs> February or March. And I know that's probably an impossible question to ask you, but I'm asking it anyway because you're the authority here. Are, are we going to find ourselves in the same spot next year where we keep hitting the reset button on the portal? Or is it going to be something where we eventually get to a more structured formula in the future? You know, I got text messages last night from some friends and family who were like, the 30-day window is back open for you. I'm like, thank you so much for the reminder. Um do I think the calendar is going to change? I don't know if it's going to change quickly. I know there's a lot of conversation right now about trying to move it to the spring, um, maybe like May after classes end, so then the people don't have to worry about the academic calendar. But I don't see it really moving at the moment. Um, and maybe we do get to like a new version of college football, maybe in uh, either a year or 18 months or something like that, and that shifts everything. But until that happens, I don't see the calendar moving whatsoever. And, and we talked about it on this show, like, I guess last week. I, I don't know what the right answer is. Like, I think everybody feels like something has to change. But if you move the window up, probably you hurt teams that are playing in the postseason because you decimated their depth. And if you move the window back, like, a lot of these guys probably know where they're going anyway through back channels. And that just messes everything up. And it's, it's so late in the yeah. ad drop. Like, it just it feels like it's a mess. Um, outside of that, though, what teams have you been impressed with that are that are crushing the portal right now? Well, you look at Ole Miss, you look at Louisville, you look at Ohio State, um, a few others. But, I mean, at this very moment, I would say that Arizona's done a hell of a job of keeping their roster together in the mm -hmm. last two weeks. Um, obviously, Jed Fish goes to Washington, part of the Nick Saban domino effect, and, and Brent Brennan steps in. I, I mean, and, like, every day they continue to seem – it seems to like another athlete is withdrawing from the portal – um, and then obviously getting Noah Fafita back is huge for the Wildcats. And how do they do that? Is that NIL saying, hey, we're going to make sure we take care of you to stay here? Is, is the staff having the right conversations? How, how do you retain a roster when your head coach leaves, like Arizona is? Yeah, I think my read on the situation is that the new coaching staff is coming in and had some really important and, and impactful conversations. I also think that when you have someone like Noah Fafita come back, right? Like, I think that is. Uh, domino effect in the locker room of like okay my quarterback's coming back i know all of a sudden that we can probably win a big 12 title now like i want to be a part of this um i think the other thing too is i mean you mentioned nil i'm sure that's a role but the other thing too is right like washington is was a perfect product in 2023 i'm not sure if it's going to be in 2024 so i think a lot of those players maybe had second thoughts about joining jet fish in, in seattle and maybe they want to win immediately opposed to joining a, a, a project well, we had shay dixon on this show yesterday talking about that second portal window because there's going to be a lot of teams that still have needs like if you're talking about michigan who knows if they're happy with alex orgy or if they want to go and grab someone in that second portal window kind of like auburn did with peyton thorne uh, he was saying he thinks that second portal window is going to have the heat turned up relative to last year like we might see more craziness is that something you're hearing or anticipating or what can we expect from the second window post spring yeah i mean i've heard for the last like two weeks now that people think it's going to be 10 times more chaotic than what we just saw and that's and that's crazy to think but 
I mean, look at a few factors, right? So collectives will have time to get some some money in the war chest. Um, the personnel directors at each program are going to have time to look at film and really evaluate where they need a player or two. So then they're going to approach that portal window with a very um, – they're going to like nitpick almost, like they know what they need. And then, yeah, I mean, I think at the same time too, it's the last chance for athletes to make that last-ditch effort to leave a program if they don't think they're going to play in 2024 or uh, maybe it's the last chance to, to get the dollars that they want. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about Deion Sanders when we're talking about the portal. Because on one hand, it feels like the buzz you hear is, hey, Colorado's not an ATM. They're, they're not a Tier 1 NIL kind of school. But you see them continue to go after a high quantity of guys within the portal. Is it just the Coach Prom effect? Like, hey, come play for me and you'll get a lot of exposure and be able to you know, improve your brand that way? Or how is Colorado and Coach Prime being so effective in the portal with a lesser NIL standing or so it seems? I think a few things. First off, I mean, a lot of people just want to straight up play for Deion Sanders. Like, that cannot be discounted. Um, the other thing, though, that Deion Sanders and Colorado offers that arguably no other program in the country does is if you play for the Buffs, Deion Sanders might post about you on social media. Like, your your mm. social media value is probably going to skyrocket. Um, and also the YouTube channels they run, and you look at – uh, how profitable and marketable Travis Hunter's become in the last 18 months through working with Dion Sun. And it might not be the most money up front, but at the end of the day, you might walk out of there with a really um, important social media profile that could carry on for years to come. That's interesting. Yeah, because it's one of those things where it's like, hey, come here and create some value for yourself with our tools, right. and you'll be able to be in good standing from an NIL perspective. Exactly. Uh, now, for Florida State, it seems like they scout the portal as well as anybody hitting on guys like Jared Verse and, and Braden Fisk. Like, across the board, they just seem like they've been a little bit ahead of everybody. Is it based on what they have in-house doing such a good job proactively, or how is Florida State able to crush it on the portal side of things as well? I think it's everything in Tallahassee. I think that the coaching staff is all moving as one right now. They know what they need. They know what they want. Um They've really been able to reconnect, like reconnect with some old recruitments too, right? Uh, you look at Marvin Jones, who went to Georgia, now he's at Florida State. I mean, uh, the, the Seminoles almost got him the first time around, and then uh, past that, yeah, I mean, they have one of the elite NIL programs in the country, and they're able to make some really um, strong, um, uh, pretty attractive offers. Man, it's just it's it's a crazy time in college football right now, and it seems like it's just continuing to evolve. Pete, I appreciate you, man. Let's get you some sleep here before the second portal window. And uh, I guess we're still in this first portal window, so hopefully there's like a couple days you can get vacation in there. Um, but regardless, I'm hoping like two you. weeks. <laughs> okay, good. Good. A little bit <laughs> yeah. of time, hopefully. But I appreciate uh, you, though, JD. Say that again? I said I appreciate you. Man, we appreciate you making some time for us here in the Hardcamp, man. We'll do it again here real, real soon. You bet. Again. Sounds good, man. Pete Nakos, man. I'm telling you. One of one of the the best in the industry, period. And the way that he's crushing the portal coverage, again, second to none. Second to none. When, when you see that portal news break, it's because Pete Nakos broke it first. So we appreciate him making a little bit of time. Uh, I'm sure he probably had some things that he had to tweet even during that. So appreciate Pete for taking care of us here. Um, all right, let's get back to your unpopular takes. We had a couple of those that I still want to get to here. Make sure you get your questions into the live chat. Nick Brakekeeper, the Q, taking care of us there. Uh, I want to get to an unpopular take from our guy, Miller Moss Enjoyer. And he says Michigan, without Jim Harbaugh, is going to go back to being average. Now, to be fair, Miller Moss Enjoyer, 
he did call his shot before Jim Harbaugh left for the NFL. So like this was a tweet we had sitting in the replies for a couple of days. So he's he's been on the Jim Harbaugh's leaving Michigan train for a minute here. But I, I don't think that this thought that he has about Michigan having uh, some recalibration is unreasonable because you look at what they have on paper, lose your head coach, the leader of your program. Obviously, there's some, uh, some repercussions of that. More than likely, we're assuming they're going to lose their D.C. Jesse Minner. All the smoke prior to this news breaking was when Jim Harbaugh goes to the NFL, Jesse Minner's probably going with him. That's not set in stone at the time of us being live, but that is kind of the way that people feel about this thing. The other part of this is you lose guys on your roster like J.J. McCarthy and Blake Corum, guys that were not just great players, but great leaders, had a ton of experience in the big moments. We talked to J.J. McCarthy at the national championship game, and he's like, yeah, the experience that this team has, that's one of our greatest edges as competitors. So you lose those pieces. But... I think that it's probably more valid to think that Michigan will have a tremendous fall back to mediocrity if they make the wrong next hire. And everyone's talking about Sharon Moore being the next head coach of Michigan. We've talked about it here, but I think we need to give you our final thought around Brian Kelly and Michigan. Because honestly, like that's the only way I see this thing having a, a terrible ending if you're a Michigan fan. Like it would make, let's just start here. It would make no sense for either side for Brian Kelly to take the Michigan job. And I don't think this is going to happen, but I want to just kind of put a nail in this coffin because I think it's, it's crazy. It keeps coming up. If you're Brian Kelly, everything you came to LSU for is working. Like, it's working. You have back-to-back 10-win seasons in Baton Rouge. You got resources. You're not getting a whole lot of no's when it comes to what you ask for at LSU. You're getting a lot of yeses. Yeses that you more than likely were not getting at Notre Dame. Also, there's a track record of winning at LSU. The last three coaches since, 20, or since 2003 have all won national titles at LSU. You just stay the course of your Brian Kelly, you accomplish what you went to LSU for, which is ultimately winning a national championship. That is very much so a possibility. On top of that, it wasn't a reason why he went to LSU was the thought that, okay, Nick Saban may retire at some point in time, but I don't think it hurts things. The fact that the greatest of all time is no longer in your conference Yes, you didn't have to win the SEC to find a way to make the college football playoff now in this expanded format, but it does make that road a little more navigable in the SEC. Now Georgia's still there. Texas is joining. Oklahoma is trending the right way. So we'll see what the SEC is, but I just want to make sure we say that, like, for Brian Kelly, it would make next to no sense to go back to the Midwest and be the Michigan Wolverines' next head coach. I don't see the reason there for Brian Kelly to do that. Now for Michigan, this is really, I think, probably the point that I want to lean on. Why, why would you decimate your roster? Why would you do that? Like, you see what happened to Alabama, what happened at Washington, what happened to Arizona when they got new coaches. Do you really want to dip your toe in their water of losing, like, double-digit guys like Alabama did? Everything that's made Michigan successful has been in-house. Like, they haven't done it with top 10 classes. They haven't done it with X and O wizardry. It's been the recipe at Michigan, which is develop, to evaluate and culture. And yes, Jim Harbaugh was on the forefront of all those things. He spearheaded that operation. But Sharon Moore was right there with him. Sharon Moore has been a part of that in a large degree as well. Like Sharon Moore, one of the top recruiters on this staff at Michigan. And so the thing for me isn't so much, okay, can they can they bring in the next big name? Can can they, you know, continue to do things Jim Harbaugh's way. It's okay. Can you keep those staples that Jim Harbaugh had in place that worked at Michigan? Can you keep the recipe as intact as possible? Because if that continues to churn, 
Michigan's going to stay at a pretty high cruising altitude. I'm not telling you they're going to win the Big Ten next year. I'm not telling you they're going to win the national championship in the next couple of years. Those could happen. But I think the feeling of, okay, how do we prevent mediocrity? You make Schroen more the next head coach. And it sounds like they're going to do that, which is tremendous. But, like, I think that's got to be the, the right next step. And you probably feel that way if you're a Michigan fan. I think most folks in, you know, this uh, short period of time since Jim Harbaugh has taken the Chargers job feels that that's what's going to happen. But, like, when it comes to Sharon Moore's Michigan, let's just be clear about this, it might take some time. Now, what does take some time look like in terms of, like, do they go 8-4, and four, do they go 7-5? and five? I, I don't think they fall to that level because for, for Sharon Moore, I think a lot of the things that you need to do well at Michigan that they've done well the last couple of years, he has. Like, it, it might be an adjustment to being a head coach, but, like, is there buy-in for him there? Absolutely. Those guys play for him. He went 4-0 as the head coach. They went 3-0 these last, uh, this last stretch of the regular season, beating Penn State, Maryland, Ohio State. Ohio State obviously being the big one. You know, question buying. The players love him. They play for him. The culture, I think, stays stable with Sharon Moore running the show. The guys know him. They're familiar with him. They trust him. Can he evaluate? Can he develop? To this point, he's played a large part, I believe, in both of those. If he's able to do that, you give yourself the best chance for continuity. You give yourself the best chance with him as the head coach to keep retention with your roster via the portal. So it should be Sharon Moore. Not only does it make no sense for Michigan to hire Brian Kelly, it makes no sense for Brian Kelly to go to Michigan. So that's kind of the last thing we wanted to say about that. Feel pretty confident about that. Feel pretty good about that going forward. And obviously we'll, we'll keep a gauge on the things that Michigan, when it comes to their next head coach, but would be wildly surprised if it were not Sharon Moore to be your next head coach in Ann Arbor. Now, speaking of what's going on in Ann Arbor, we had someone give us an unpopular take that is, uh, fittingly, their username is JJ for Heisman, and they say you can't build a program through NIL. And then they put in parentheses, Ohio State. <laughs> so very clear where this tweet is coming from, from an Allegiant standpoint. But to be honest, like what they're saying is very true. You cannot build a program through NIL. Things that win in college football, culture, alignment, coaching, competitiveness, all those things, like those are kind of cliches to talk about, but they're absolutely true. And I'm not trying to throw shade here, but you look at Texas A&M, that was an example of why this tweet is true. You cannot win with NIL and NIL alone. But I would say on the, on the other side of that, uh, that take, you can build a roster through NIL. And to me, roster talent is a lot like tickets. Like, if you have the roster talent, you have a way to get there. You I mean, your, your ticket is punched. You have a chance to get in the building and be able to be a part of the show. However, it doesn't guarantee that you're there. You still got to do the work to get ready, to get there, to drive on over, to take the path to get to the show. Like, there's still a lot of things you have to do. But if you have the roster talent, you have your ticket in the door. And so for Ohio State, as this question is, is asking, like, I, all I see them doing is improving their roster. And that was never the question for me of, you know, is the roster good enough? But I know for sure it's good enough now. But I think the implication here is that, okay, well, you can build a roster, but Ryan Day, is he the guy? To me, just because they haven't done it yet doesn't mean they're not capable. Because Ryan Day, has he struggled against Michigan? Sure. Totally fair. But you know what he has done? Create culture create buy-in 
and he's got a great winning percentage. He's won north of 85% of his games. I've seen guys play for Ryan Day. That Notre Dame game, man, when it's you know the, the game and, and goal to go, they hand the ball off to Chip Trent, and he gets in the end zone. Like, you could tell by how they celebrated. That was a team that was together, that that was playing with the same vision in mind, that had buy into Ryan's days, Ryan Day's way of doing things. Like, I don't think there's up for debate as to what he's created from a team standpoint. So I see Ohio State using NIL as a tool and not so much as the answer to their problems. You can't use NIL just to build a roster and say that's how we're going to win college football games. There's too many more things that go into that. But that's not what Ohio State's doing. Ryan Day is utilizing NIL to the nth degree to say, okay, we need to put the very best roster together to accomplish our goals. More power to him. More power to him. Because if he wasn't using NIL to help his roster, someone else would use their roster or use NIL to help their roster to beat Ohio State. It's either have it used for you or used against you. And again, going back to what he's cultivated there, we were on the field after they beat Penn State in Columbus, and it was very obvious that team cared about Ryan Day. It was very obvious they were bought into Ryan Day's way of doing things. I have no reservations about Ryan Day as a coach. I have no reservations about Ohio State as a culture. Is there anything that's perfect across the board in college football? No. And Ryan Day, his... I mean, falling, falling short, his shortcomings, rather, against Michigan in the last couple of years... Of course, that's an issue. Of course, something that you're going to have to reevaluate going forward. But he's doing that by nature of how they're attacking this roster, how they're attacking this offseason. And can you build a program through NIL? No, but you can build a really good roster. And I think they've got the right guy to build the program at Ohio State and get them to where they want to be. So we're not calling our shot, making a prediction. But I do think that what Ohio State's doing with NIL is overall going to be a very big net positive for them when we look back on this thing in a matter of months. All right, appreciate y'all being locked in, man. Everyone who's watching the show right now, make sure you have subscribed to the channel. Make sure you've liked the videos. We keep a good thing going here. Best part of the show now, getting to y'all's thoughts, questions, concerns. Had PD Portal here earlier talking about the portal. We talked our fair share about recruiting. Hey, let's, let's get to 100 likes. Everyone who could uh, watch the video right now could like it. That would be tremendous. And uh, we will keep on charging forward. All right, bring it on the Keeper of the queue. Producer for the hard count, Nick Brake. Nick, what's going on, baby? Man, uh, lots, of, lots of debate in the chat today. Love it. I'm muted right now, so. No, you're good. You said a lot of good debate. I'm, un- I'm unmuted now? Yeah. Here we Sorry, go. man. Uh, yeah, lots of debate today. Uh, Michigan stuff. Uh, poor Ferris Khan has been fighting the mob today. So, uh, Here we go. Keep up the good fight, everybody. Um, looking for some questions. So if you guys haven't gotten them in, I mean, yesterday we had 50,000. Today we have zero. So uh, in the next couple of seconds, somebody get a question so we can ask it on the show, right, J.D.? Yeah, I love it, man. I mean, I, I'm seeing, too, in the chat, someone talking about Ohio State and their uh, and their defense lacking in previous years. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't lack anymore. And they said currently the offense needs help. I mean, they've done a tremendous job helping the offense this offseason. When got yeah. themselves a quarterback who's an upgrade. Mm-hmm. When got Quinshawn Judkins, who's the best back in the portal for my money, like mm-hmm. one of the best backs in college football. I'm, 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 all, I'm all about Ohio State and how they've, how yep. they've addressed things this past offseason. I mean, I think they're going to be in great shape. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be really good. J.D., you said just yesterday, one Georgia, two Ohio State, but um, you said that took you a little bit of – time to, to decide or is that an easy question man it's, it's 
I, I think I felt probably, I felt strong enough about Georgia, but I gave more hesitation to like, hmm, well, Ohio State, what they've done so far, like that, that defense, I know they're going to be solid, but I think I probably feel too strongly about the way that, uh, that Georgia has built over the last couple of years and with Carson Beck coming back. I think I know a lot about Georgia at this point. Like, I don't think I have as many questions about Georgia. I don't have questions about Ohio State, but I'm just I'm curious to see how it meshes. Um, but again, I say I'm curious to see how it meshes, and I have them as the number two team in the mm-hmm. country here in January. So as curious as you can be right now. Absolutely, J.D. Now we've got a plethora of questions. Oh, you so lo- what do you say we it. get to it? you got to love it. Let's do it. <laughs> um, first one, Jake Hewlett, who says, J.D., uh, when are we getting some program merch? Also asked, uh, do you think Michigan recruiting will improve under Coach Moore? I owe a couple of people program shirts. I have not forgotten. Owe a couple of y'all program shirts. You shot me your program wins, and they were tremendous. So I want to make sure we get those to y'all. If I've mentioned, um, if I've mentioned that to you via DM, make sure we uh, we get that done for you. Um, dude, I'll be honest. My my sister makes these, so I don't know what to, what to say at that point. Like we're gonna we're gonna find a way, hopefully, at some point in time, to make these available. But uh, some of that too, I don't know what we can and can't do. So. Uh, as soon as there's an update there, we will give it to y'all for the time being. I said I would send a couple of y'all program shirts, and that's what we're going to do here. So um, what was the second question, though? I'm sorry, I, I forgot. Um, the second question is about how uh, do you think that Sharon Moore will basically improve the recruiting it's situation? It's possible. Yeah, yeah. it's possible. I mean, he, he's a dog recruiter. Like, that's one of the things that they say about him um, in-house in Ann Arbor is like, yeah, he's one of the best recruiters on the staff. And so there's some thought of like, okay, well – you take the fact that you got a head coach who really presses the envelope in recruiting, if he becomes the next head coach. You take the fact that Michigan is as hot a brain as anywhere else in college football right now. Okay. Like, that could be attractive, especially if they are able to uh, be up to par on the NIL side of things, which I don't, I don't pretend to know, but I think they're probably competitive enough. Um, it's possible. I, I think the thing for Michigan, too, is, like, you stay who you are. If you can up your talent level, great. But again, development, evaluation, those are the things that have made Michigan what they are and just being nasty in the trenches. So could be a couple of facets to it, but that's kind of how I feel about it. I, I'm, I'm not overly concerned about the way that the, the recruiting changes for them. If they go up a couple of spots, great. But mm-hmm. I think for them, it really is evaluation, development, and keeping that culture intact. Um, what do you say we get a couple more questions going out of the Michigan uh, situation before Love we it. move on elsewhere? Love um, it. Tavion says... Uh, or Tavian, excuse me, says, does Moore go internal for D.C., or should he hire from the outside? If, like, I mean, that's assuming that um, Harbaugh yeah, that, the, house a bit. Yeah, if Harbaugh takes Jesse Minner, I think it would be internal. That's my feel. Um, wouldn't be surprised if they went on uh, the, the position side of things, maybe the defensive line coach for, for Michigan. So we'll see what happens there. I think it'd be internal, personally. That would be my guess. Okay, uh, this is the last question uh, regarding... Uh, Michigan. It is about Jesse Mentor. Uh, Ferris Khan says, "Would five million dollars a year keep Mentor at Michigan?" I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't know. What <sighs> That's you pay a lot. Coordinators. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money, man. I do know that. That's a lot of money. Um, would that keep him at Michigan? I don't know because there's also this part of it too, where like quality of life in the NFL, not having to recruit year round, be with the family a little bit more, a couple more weeks off during the year, probably make some pretty good money in the NFL too. Um, I don't know. Only Jesse Minner knows that, but it can't hurt. Throwing $5 million, I think you probably at least give yourself a chance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, JD, excuse me, JD, let's talk a little bit about Ohio State, uh, obviously Michigan's rival. Would you bet 
plus 500 for the Buckeyes to win the Natty next year. That's from Drew. Wow. Okay, so I'm assuming that's probably around where they are. I, I thought I saw plus 700, but maybe that market's moved a little bit with uh, all the portal acquisitions. Would I bet plus 500? Maybe throw a couple dollars on it. I wouldn't say it's my bet that I'd make right now. I still want to see how Will Howard looks in that offense. I still want to see how they look with Bill O'Brien's offense. I think it's it was I think it was a, a safe hire to a degree by nature of how much experience he has between Bill O'Brien and it was a safe portal out. Honestly, grabbing Will Howard probably the best available they could get. Um, so I, I I feel good about where they stand right now. I don't know if I would go out and if I if I had one bet to place, I don't know that I put it on Ohio State personally. Okay. That could um, change, he, though. That yeah, change. yeah, it may change. <laughs> yeah, uh, James also said, I saw 700, and Drew said they bumped it to plus 500. Hey, there you go. Um, Jonathan Rayfield, who's back. I haven't seen their name pop up for a while. How do, you, how do you think the four teams from West Coast to New Big Ten country will do against the big boys in the Big Ten? Is there an early night, or is there an early uh, guy that you would say who could win the championship out of the pack? Obviously, Oregon, uh, the team... We yeah. suspected that might be the one. Hey, quick brag on you, Nick. You do a tremendous job knowing who's in the chat and their frequency. Like, <laughs> like the fact that you knew Jonathan Rayfield and, and his his amount he's been in here. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm sure Jonathan appreciates that too. Um, when, when it comes to the question, though, we've kind of kept our same tune on this. We really think Oregon's going to have zero issue acclimating to the Big Ten. And the reason why we say that is the way they've attacked the portal – they got Dylan Gabriel, so they got a quarterback to kind of stabilize things. The way they got Evan Stewart, they've done a tremendous job across the board there. But just the way Dan Lanning's built that thing, they've built it from the inside out, meaning they've started with the trenches. And as long as you have the good trenches in the Big Ten, you're going to be able to hold serve. I'm not saying they're going to win the Big Ten, but I think they probably have the best chance out of the early four. Uh, USC, I love the defensive hires. I'm worried about them, y'all. I am. I am, and that, that's coming from someone who loved USC growing up, went to USC games growing up. I'm not saying I was a USC fan growing up. I'm saying I, I'm not telling you I had some specific allegiance one way or another, but I am saying for USC, like, I have no reason to root against USC. In fact, I have the opposite reason, having been from Southern California. But with that being said, they got to up it up a little bit when it comes to what they have on that roster. So that's that. But yeah, mm -hmm. Oregon, I saw one of y'all say in the chat, Oregon's going to be filthy. Yeah. Indeed. They will be filled. Absolutely. Uh, Brooks Bond, what must Alabama do in order to replenish the receiving core since they lost my cousin, Isaiah Bond, for Texas? Um, well, they took a good step in fixing that, obviously, yesterday, J.D. Te you said Ryan Texas Williams. did? No, um, Al Alabama. we're talking Alabama. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so Alabama. I apologize. I apologize. I was making yeah. sure I was reading everything correctly. Uh, yeah, man, Adam Ryan Williams, the fact that he reclassified two and is still a top three receiver in the country, that's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. So they're going to be – I think that's one position you're going to see them attack here in the future, whether it be via the portal or whether it be on the recruiting trail. Like, if they have the wide receivers to run that system along with the quarterback to run that system, like, we saw it work with Michael Penix Jr. There, there's proof of concept there. However, Michael Penix Jr. obviously is a really special talent, probably going to be a first-round pick. Can you execute that with Jalen Milrow? Remains to be seen. I don't think it'll look the same. I think there'll be some caveats to that. But uh, landing, like like you said, Nick, landing Ryan Williams was a huge step in the right direction to to have the pieces you need to to run that offense. Yep, and, and obviously, uh, 
for a second you thought I was talking Texas. That's another team that uh, obviously has to replenish their receiving core. Got Isaiah Bond to start doing that. Yeah, um, Silas Bolden. They got some pieces, yeah. Yep, they do. Jonte Cook, yeah, they got some um, guys. Nick Carlisle. This is a, a harsh uh, comparison for both teams in here. Um, will OSU be the next A&M uh, if they do not win this year? Ryan Day could be gone, in his opinion. You know, I saw I saw something like this on my Twitter page too. When it comes to the unpopular takes, mm-hmm. um, also we're around we're around forty away from from getting over hundred likes. If everyone who's in the chat right now liked the video, we'd, we'd be in good shape. Uh, some people say we're thirsty for likes, Nick, and they're not wrong. That's hundred percent true. We have a streak. So, so there we go. We got we have a little streak going. So we love to keep that intact. But you know, we'll keep this thing going. Um, is Ohio State A and M if they don't win the national title next year? That's that's a tough label to put on somebody. I think if Ohio State were to like severely underachieve and, and be in the range of like barely making a bowl game, then we can talk about that. But like to not win the national championship, I don't think puts you in the territory of like severe underachievement. Now the folks in Columbus would say otherwise. They say, hey, we beat Michigan, we win national titles, and that's pretty much all we do around here. I understand that. I understand that that's the standard. But like with as talented as this roster is, I think they're going to be north of 10 wins and i think they're going to be right in that category for i mean 10 wins in the big 10 probably makes you into the, the college football playoff um what they do when they get there is a whole other discussion so I, I i would be slow to give them that label of being the new a&m that feels a little bit harsh to me nick it's also a little harsh to texas a&m it's like man we're that that's what we're uh being judged as but yeah. i guess it is fair tough optics um, there tough yep. optics it is um this is a take from from james that i'd like to hear you give your thought about no divisions equals better championship games also says that Oregon and Ohio State in the Big Ten championship. What do you think? I like that. I like that take. Oregon and Ohio State mm-hmm. could also see could also see Michigan and Ohio State if they could run that back. Um, I don't disagree here because think about how many times we had to watch Michigan, Iowa, Michigan, Purdue. And that's not to say anything of Iowa or Purdue, but they just quite frankly weren't the second best team in the Big Ten. So they were playing for the Big Ten Championship because of those divisions. So I'm actually not a fan of seeing, you know, two teams play each other more than once in a season. But there's no way around the fact that the best two teams get to play for the conference title without divisions. So I, uh, and that way I would say my desire to see a good championship game trumps the um, desire to not see the same matchup twice. So I'm I'm 100% on board here, man. Seeing uh, the best championship game happens when you have no divisions of college football and that's going to be the case in the sec this upcoming season too in the new 2024 format so pac-12 the sec uh i believe the big 10 is doing the same thing so across the board we're gonna have a lot better championship games and who knows i think as a whole too with this 12 team playoff i think we're gonna get better national title games too just, yes. just so we're on the record there mm-hmm. jd we got to get a move on on the likes we're at 68 right now let's keep them coming a uh, conundrum says, can Dabo survive without the portal? I think it depends on, like, like anything, it depends on how you want to survive. Like when you're accustomed to a certain standard of living and that paycheck gets cut, can you survive? Yeah, you can survive. You can't survive how you were surviving before with a you know million dollar house. That's obviously a metaphor for Clemson right now, because I think if they want to survive at that tier one level and be in the college football final four, I almost said playoff. I think I'm still make the playoff. If they want to win national championships, I think they got to use the portal. I, I really do. And the reason isn't so much because Clemson's roster needs like this enormous amount of help. They got some holes like everybody else. But the, the difference is other teams are using the portal to now pass Clemson. 
We've said this a few times. That Florida State game is as good an example as any as to why Clemson needs to start using the portal. There were a couple of portal pieces for Florida State that weren't on that team a season ago that lost to Clemson that were the difference in them beating Clemson this past season. Keon Coleman making a big touchdown catch. Jaheim Bell had a touchdown catch. Like, across the board there, there were a lot of guys that Florida State acquired via the portal to pass Clemson. And Clemson, I don't know if they're falling backwards, but they're getting left behind in a big way. And it makes that margin for error on the recruiting trail, too, that much more important. Like, if you're not going to use the portal, that means you have to hit on a large percentage of your commits you take from the high school level and develop them all the way through and have all you know the major success you want to have you can't miss and so the fact that there's less margin for error too I think hurts Clemson in modern college football as well so all that's to say Nick a lot of pieces to it but to answer that question can they survive like will Dabo Sweeney get fired if they don't use the portal I don't think that's the case but I do think if you want to win national championships how Clemson has in the past it's it's not a negotiation you have to use the portal JD, I've got three more questions. Let's hope this Ooh, gets okay. us to 100. Um, I like it. This first one from OG Gary. What case could you make that Utah would win the national championship? I know it's a long shot, but if. OG Gary is our resident LSU and Utah fan. Yes. Is that correct? Tales old as time, man. Like peanut butter and jelly, Utah and LSU, baby. We love it. Um, is there a case for it? Absolutely. I think if Cam Rising steps forward and has – a big season. Um, the problem is when you talk about national championships, that path to getting that done became a little bit more difficult with the 12 team format. And what I mean by that is previously, if you're Utah, you can win your conference, be undefeated. And Florida state fans are kind of grimacing at this statement I'm making, but 99% chance you make the college football playoff. If you handle business, not hundred percent, but 99%. And so for Utah, at that point in time, you make the college football playoff, it's a two-game season. If you can win two games in a row and have the best two games you've had all season long, you have a chance to win a national championship. Now the format shifts to where if you have a good enough season to make the college football playoff, the, the, the games you have to play increase a little bit more, depending on if you're an auto bid or not. Like That's a whole other discussion. But the bottom line here is it becomes more difficult. But how they would do it, Cam Rising has to play lights out. <clears throat> excuse me, um, that physical brand of football that we've known Utah to be, I think that has to elevate even further than it was in the past. Um, th they've been tremendous under Kyle Whittingham. They have to have their best year to date, and Cam Rising has to have his best year to date if they want to win a national title. So is it possible? It wouldn't be my pick, but we're coming off of two different seasons where Washington and TCU have made the national title, and they would have been my pick preseason either. So crazier things have happened, but mm -hmm. I would, uh, I'd be surprised if that were the case. Okay, uh, two more. This one's from Osmosis Jones. Biggest upset game prediction for next season, J.D. That's a tough one to get to right now. Osmosis but. Jones. <laughs> I know. How about it? Little, little OJ to, to end the show here. Uh, what are we, 27 likes away? Yeah, this is a far cry at this point. It's a far cry. It's definitely, hey, it's it's not like like the ESPN win percentage. You know how yeah. you track that during the season. It's probably a little bit lower right now. It's bad. It's not impossible. Not impossible. I got faith in the program. So the ball is in their court to get that done, and we appreciate y'all for that. Biggest upset. Uh, I'm trying to think of even the big upset games. You know, a non-conference game that we have that could be interesting? Um, Wisconsin and Alabama. I think Alabama goes to Wisconsin. That could be a game where you don't know Tyler Van Dyke, what he's bringing to the table. You know, who knows what Alabama looks like. I think that's early in the season. Let me check the schedule here and make sure I have this correct. Because I think it's in Madison. I would anticipate Alabama's favorite in that game whenever we end up at that one. Yeah, okay, so you got 
the third week of the season for Alabama at Camp Randall Stadium. Jump around is going to be blaring. The energy will be palpable. Luke Fickle, one of the best head coaches in the game, despite their step back this past season, that could be one to, to circle. So we're not calling our shot, but that could be one to circle. I'll have to do some more homework on some other games that could be big upsets. Uh, the conference games are the obvious ones to talk about. You never know how weird the Iron Bowl is going to get, not to pick on Alabama here. Um, USC, LSU, I wonder what the line is going to be on that game when we get there. Would expect LSU to be favored, but hey, Miller Moss picks up where he left off in the Holiday Bowl. He starts slinging the ball around the yard. You never know. So we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on those. I got a conundrum saying A&M over Notre Dame. Could see it. Could see it if uh, the Mike Elko era gets popping and Riley mm-hmm. Leonard has some trouble early on. So we'll yeah, see. Yeah, that's an interesting because because obviously Elko did almost. They almost beat Notre Dame, right? Almost. Yeah, they did. And, yeah, then, yeah. and then the yeah. week later, they lose to Louisville. Uh, I mean, it took, it took all the way down yeah. to the final minute of that thing yeah. to get it done. That was close. But uh, maybe he'll get it done this year. That's a good prediction. Against um, his former quarterback. Yeah. How about oh, that? oh, yeah. That's How about true. that? That's an awesome. That's going to be like one of those games that has some cool storylines. Hey, also, we're talking about Alabama. Let's not dismiss who they <laughs> open talking, with. Yeah. Let's not dismiss they open with the yeah. fighting grimaces, baby. Yeah. We'll WKU <laughs> and co. rolling in the town. Uh, yeah, I mean, hey, look. You never know, right? You never. Hey, it's college football. It's college football. You know? Hey. That's, that could be good. We're going to talk a little bit of Notre Dame in the show. Um, Joe Bro asked, who wins it first? Who wins the Natty first? You already did that, obviously, with the two uh, SEC newcomers. But we're going Brian Kelly or Marcus Freeman. Who do you Ooh. think can win the national championship ahead of the other? The juice to this question is awesome. Like mm-hmm. this might be a, a segment we have to do in a one-off video tomorrow. Um, so what we probably have, let's say we have probably two or three minutes left in the show. We are sitting 19 likes shy of our goal. For those of y'all that have tuned in live, we got a streak going here of over 100 likes. Nick, the last time we didn't pass this, I swear it was uh, something on. It might, it might have been SEC Media Days. Like was it the summer? It the was. last time we didn't pass this. It so, was the day we had Sankey on the show. Oh man. Tough deal. That was a long time ago. Tough deal. Long time ago. So we'll throw that out there. Also, Brooks Bond saying Boston College shocked the world. <laughs> Natty season 2024. Brooks, I love it. I yeah, love it, brother. Do Don't stop believing. I love their helmets. Don't stop believing. Uh, that would shock me, but shout out for the super chat. We appreciate that tremendously. Big super chat from the boy Brooks Bond or the girl Brooks Bond, but I believe that is uh, our guy Brooks. Uh, regardless. Um, to answer that question, who would I who would I take first? Man, I'll just be real. Like LSU just has more in the tank right now. Back to back ten win seasons. I love what they've done with that staff. Um, they're recruiting at a top ten level year in and year out. Marcus Freeman has has recruited well too. Um, I think the way the format of the playoff is right now too. Notre Dame, regardless of if they go undefeated, they don't get a first round bye, and so that could end up mattering in a in a national title discussion. They have a deeper, a deeper, uh, or a steeper route to it, rather. So, with that being said, you see people in this chat saying Marcus Freeman has an easier schedule with a, with a regular season. Uh, I he- I hear that, but like let's let's look at Notre Dame's schedule right now. In 2024, you got to go to Texas A&M. You play Louisville. You play Florida State. You're at USC. Like, not necessarily a ton of cupcakes. Louisville's going to be ranked to start the year. I mean, they still have another game in Big Ten country at Purdue, which won't be probably the most 
concerning game on your schedule, but still, I don't think they're playing just a ton of cupcakes. Like, Notre Dame kind of gets a bad rap when it comes to their schedule. With that all being said, I will go ahead and take LSU to win a national title before Notre Dame. And if for no other reason, they have a, a stronger track record of getting that done. Three coaches since 2003 have won a national title in Baton Rouge. Brian Kelly could be number four. All right. Well, around 12 likes away, all good things must come to an end. That's the way that it's looking. But hey, if you haven't yet, like the video on your way out of here. We will be back on the air on Tuesday. But on this show, we do some one-off content for you. So that's another really, really important reason to be subscribed to the channel. We do videos every single day. We'll have content for you on Saturday, Sunday. Any way that you consume college football, you can find this very show on those platforms, whether it's podcast or whether it's on YouTube. But the YouTube channel is the only place that we release those short one-off clips. So like, we'll probably talk some Florida tomorrow. Uh, we'll probably talk some, I haven't even decided where, what else we'll talk, but I've decided we're going to talk some Florida. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. But the bottom line is here, again, we appreciate y'all for tuning in. Appreciate y'all being a part of this show and making it what it is. Jim Harbaugh, head of the Chargers, expecting Sharon Moore to be the next head coach here sooner rather than later. Am I stalling to get 100 likes? Yes, I am. We're 10 away, but regardless, man. Hey, we appreciate y'all. We love y'all. For myself, J.D. Piquel, Nick Brake, for all of us here at On3, we're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time. is here say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book right now new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel that's 200 bucks to use on point spreads Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. 
Facebook.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-4247 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.